DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome in on a Wednesday morning. We count down the days until the NFL draft because we have no games. We wait for the games to restart. Many of them will. Although, there's a story in Baseball America that some of them will not. There's uh, It's kind of been overlooked here, but there's the ongoing uh, plan in baseball. How do they streamline the whole draft and getting the prospects ready for the pros and there have been the threat of lawsuits and all that, but it looks like, according to Baseball America and a story from J.J. Cooper, they're going ahead with plans to basically end the rookie leagues. And the players who are drafted are probably going to end up going to a camp. It'll all have to be fleshed out. Going to a camp, being trained in how to be a pro, how to manage money, what to do, um, but not go around America and play games and leagues the way they have. And this is, uh, of course, bad news for the Pioneer League. These rookie leagues are half seasons that start after the draft. And, of course, locally we've got two teams, the Ormals, the Ogden Raptors. So that would be the end of the Pioneer League and those leagues, unless they, they remake themselves um, come up with a new business model, you know, is there a place for independence? Is there a place for small town, low cost baseball? Can they make the money work? Um, this is, uh, this is sad. I think this is kind of like first cousin to the, um, first cousin to the colleges dropping sports, you know, it's an opportunity, late bloomers, it's a path, it's fun. And in dollars and cents world, that doesn't necessarily matter. So, hate to see it, and maybe there's a way to reinvent themselves, but that'll take some ingenuity going forward, and this is a pretty tough financial environment to try it in. It would be hard, I think, in the best of times, but even harder now. Uh, don't know the folks around the Owl so much, but I have had some interaction with Dave Baggett over the years, and I haven't spoken to him yet, but... Um, Hope to track him down and, and see what he's planning. He's about as creative as anybody gets when it comes to promotion and all that and selling the sizzle and selling the steak and getting people in the ballpark and making sure that they have fun on a summer night. And, you know, got a lot of nice facilities. Now, the one that the Owls playing is obviously UVU Stadium, so there's still, uh, you know, still a lot of events going on there and they've had concerts there and that kind of thing. So we'll see how all that plays out, but that's. It's uh, it's sad news, but it's also not totally shocking. Baseball's falling the buck and uh, trying to save a little money. And so it looks like they're planning to shutter about 40 teams in multiple leagues around the country. All right, DJ and PK, the draft is the big story of the week. The uh, NFL draft, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, round one Thursday night. Rounds two and three Friday, and then it wraps up on Saturday. I did hear there were suggestions early on, which the NFL avoided, of stretching the draft out over even more nights. Even one round per night. Seven rounds, seven. I just don't know that there's that much interest in the sixth and seventh round. But even if they stretch it out over a fourth or fifth night, I, I see the logic to it. You know, rounds one, two, and three could have their own nights, and then four and five, and then six and seven. But ultimately, they stayed with the same format. I think it would have helped. I, I'm going to be interested to see how trades work on draft night, because I just think the logistics are going to be hard to pull off um, with everything else going on, but maybe not. And if they'd stretched it out, there would have been more time. You know, have a round, and then you can set up the trades. Have a round, you set up more trades. But uh, ultimately, this is what we got, the NFL Draft Thursday night. All right, DJ and PK, we've got to take a break here. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk NFL Draft. Evan Brennan, he is in a... Uh, 
NFL agent certified by the Players Association. And this year he's representing uh, three Cougars, a Ute, and a Wildcat. And so we'll talk with him. And then Trevor Riley on the staff up at Utah on all the changes. You know, a guy who was once drafted by the Jets. He's got a hilarious story about the Jets. <laughs> you get near the end of the draft. Uh, it made sense to me, actually. Maybe it was a little on the bold side. But no, if you're not going to use a late draft pick on me, I'm not coming. Pretty funny stuff. Uh, we'll get to Trevor. Evan's next, and then Trevor, right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. NFL draft coming up Thursday. PK, I'm looking at some of the mock drafts. Jordan Love is all over the board. It is impossible for me to predict where he's going to go. I think that'll be that and the whole, uh, you know, is Tua and uh, Herbert, how are those guys going to go at five and six? Is somebody going to trade up to take one of them at three? Those seem like the two big dramas at the top of the draft. Quarterbacks, quarterbacks, quarterbacks. Yeah, it's a quarterback-driven draft when you have this many, and that's apparently the case. I've also heard that Washington now is considering offers for number two, which we thought the kid from Ohio State Young on the D-line was going to go. And if Washington trades out, then right after the first pick, you have some form of chaos. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch Thursday. I'm looking forward to it. Thursday night, round one, and then they'll have the second and third rounds on uh, Friday and then the rest of the draft, four through seven, on Saturday. And I assume we will be talking about it nonstop because it's a little lean out there in the world of sports right now. NFL had their their mock draft and had some issues, but they seem to have gotten most of them worked out. John Elway did some interviews and said it's going to be fine, so it won't have any uh, technology tripping them up. Everybody knows how... Zoom works and how to mute themselves, and they won't go through the delays. The Bengals win. It took them two and a half minutes to make the first pick when we all know what the first pick has been for weeks and months. Time to bring in Evan Brennan right now, NFL Players Association certified agent for United Athlete Sports, representing five local players from three of the uh, local colleges here. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. We make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Please visit Sprint.com for Online services and local store availability. Evan, good morning. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming back on. And I'm curious, before we get to any of the individual guys, how much were all the agents scrambling with uh, the coronavirus upending everything and all the usual routines having to go out the window? Uh, it was a wild deal. But uh, if you are prepared, you shall not fear. It's really that simple. Um, but it was a wild, wild, wild few weeks for sure, making sure everyone knew about your guys and uh, making sure that the NFL teams had the latest and greatest uh, information on I'm wondering how important film work became because you couldn't meet with the guys individually. There were no pro days, all that stuff. But you got all sorts of film, and you got a lot of time. So did the film work and the study thereof take on a higher level of importance? 
It did. You know, um, a lot of agents, including myself, uh, time, uh, attempted to do these, uh, you know, proxy pro days. Um, and NFL teams, you know, they, they appreciate it. They, they really did. And they looked at it. Um, but at the end of the day, it just meant that uh, a player's collegiate film, what he did at an all-star game, what he did at the NFL Combine took a amplified um, importance to them. And so um, I think a lot of teams spent a lot of time watching tape, uh, knowing that there weren't going to be pro days, weren't going to be private visits, uh, weren't going to be private workouts. If someone allowed me to be GM, I'd, I'd probably wreck their franchise. But as I was wrecking their <laughs> franchise, I think the things I would really value is all the film work, but then the chance to have all the conversations for people to tell me what somebody's like, and then to actually sit down and interview somebody. Because all that, I think all that matters a lot. But when you can't sit down and interview somebody and get to know them, and you're doing conversations over Zoom, I wonder how many of the players struggled with that or how many of the executives, in your opinion, struggled with that and how much does that change things? Because it isn't, it isn't what is considered normal. It isn't what we're used to. But it's really the best you could do uh, in the last few weeks. I agree. I definitely agree with that. And, again, that's why I think that, you know, where they could do sit-down interviews um, at the Combine, their all-star games, those players have a tremendous advantage. Players that were, you know, relying on their pro day and, you know, could really appear on the radar after that and and then get those later interviews and visits in uh, late March, early April, they're at a disadvantage because teams just, you know, through no fault of their own, may not feel as comfortable with them because they haven't had a chance to have those in-person, uh, close-knit uh, interviews. They have done Zoom, FaceTime, phone calls. I mean, I've got some players that have double-digit ones of those, uh, but they can't replace uh, what uh, could have occurred in person. So for those guys that are on the bubble who don't get drafted, you know, we know there's a free agent frenzy right after the last round. And because football is a numbers game, those players have pretty good opportunities, some of them, to make teams because they make them every year, and it's not that big of a deal. I'm just wondering, this year, without that usual circumstances that they have, what does it mean for those guys? It's interesting. There's a lot of uh, cause and effect there. There's also not going to be rookie minicamp. There's also, you know, not going to be tryouts. And there's not really going to be much until training camp, whenever that's going to be. And so a lot of your rookie players are at a very large disadvantage in learning schemes. And so NFL teams are predicting fewer and fewer rookie players actually making their rosters. And so what they're doing, a lot of teams take the Lions, um, for example, they've come out and even said this is, um, normally we would cut right before the draft several players to make room for our rookie class. We're not going to do that. We're going to sign a much smaller rookie class um, after the draft and rely on players um, to be camp bodies, for lack of a better term, that have already gone through this for a year or two. And um, but we're just going to shy away from that because we don't believe that some of these rookies can really learn uh, without a tr- proper mini camp and OTAs uh, how to be a pro. So it, it, there's a lot of cause and effect. But on the flip side, yeah, you're going to have some players that are probably pretty darn good slip through the cracks and, and go undrafted this year and be able to pick where they want to go. And that's going to be huge is can I pick a scheme that I can learn? Can I pick a coaching staff that's actually going to teach me that's going to be able to deal uh, with this strange new environment? Those are all considerations for some pretty good players that probably will slip through the cracks. So there are five teams that hired new coaches this year, I think, unless I'm missing somebody. 
Would you want your players going there in this situation or not? If everything else is equal, and I, I get that everything else is rarely equal, but if everything else is equal, do those present better opportunities or the fact there's going to be so little learning time are those really opportunities that are just kind of the last resort? In a lot of cases, I would because they've got an, they've got an opportunity, particularly to unseat a veteran, because the veteran's going to you know be at a disadvantage too um, with learning that scheme, and the coaching staff is not going to be as emotionally or otherwise tied down to quote unquote incumbents, and so it presents opportunity that would otherwise not exist. Will it be a challenge in learning a new scheme? Yes, and that's a little bit of a gamble, but. Um, you know, a lot of these teams, too, that kept coach, head coaches may have changed the coordinator or position coach, and so there may be some learning there. So I think wherever we go, it's going to be a strange place. But I particularly like, you know, staffs with new coaching staffs because of, uh, you know, the opportunity to unseat a veteran is amplified than at a place where everyone's pretty solid. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering what will happen to a kid like Josh Nurse because you look at him, right? He's long, he's lean, he can move. And he played at the U of U. He didn't play defensive back the entire time, but the U of U has had a great history of putting a lot of defensive backs into the NFL. How much do you think that because they don't have opportunities with pro days and whatnot and all this stuff, that might actually help him because we know, man, if he's going to play defensive back and get on the field against at the University of Utah, he's probably got to be pretty good. Yeah, no, I, I agree. The reputation of the University of Utah uh, precedes itself with defensive back development. Uh, Josh is a very long-range defensive back, great speed uh, for his size, uh, can play press man, which is something that you know certain NFL schemes in particular really, really value. Uh, teams like you know Cleveland, uh, teams like Baltimore, teams like Jacksonville really want these big press man corners. And so the schemes like that that play less quarters, less cover three, Josh is going to be you know highly coveted. And there have been a lot of calls on Josh, no doubt. Evan Brennan joining us. He is a certified agent for United Athlete Sports, represents several local uh, players. Uh, we know you've got the tie to Josh Nurse. Are you representing other youths right now or no? No, uh, that's that's my that's my youth of the year. We're keeping it nice and small. Okay, uh, for the Cougars, you represent several Cougars. You know BYU fans. Uh, it's it's pretty intense. They're going to have to listen to a bunch of Ute fans in the neighborhood brag about how many how many Utes get drafted six, seven, eight, nine, whatever the number ends up being. Uh, the Cougars, where might they stick? What do they offer? How could they get into the league even if they're not drafted? Oh, Diane first, Diane Lake, and Wallaku. Uh, very versatile, speedy defensive back, special teams ace. Um, I mean, he's talked with just about every play, or team in the league, FaceTimes with defensive backs coach across the league. I mean, even the Patriots uh, did a FaceTime with him yesterday. Um, easily could stick in as kind of a special teams guy that teams want to run down on punt and kick and make tackles and plays. He's a guy that can back up, you know, starting nickel or could be the starting nickel and could uh, back up, you know, safeties and other corners across the roster. So it was very, very, very tough at the PFA. A lot of HIFO, similar, but on the offensive side of the ball, has the ability to punt return, speedy, great agility, uh, can play in the slot, and uh, it's hard to find true punt returners right now. This is an extremely deep wide receiver class. You can go 60, 70 deep, um, probably one of the deepest in the last 10 years. And so Lowe's got to fight numbers more than anything. Uh, but he's had several calls, and we expect to see him 
um, definitely getting a lot of love um, uh, on Saturday. Have you heard anything about Jordan Love? I know he's not your client, but I'm just wondering if what you've heard. He's a very polarizing uh, prospect for sure. Uh, there's some teams that you know really love the tools they see there. Um, you know, he's got some good athleticism and mobile ability. Needs to work a little bit on his decision making. You know, uh, I've had teams say, "Hey, this is a guy. I don't understand why he's getting first round love. He's more of a fifth round pick for us as a high developmental guy." And there are other teams that are just very, very high on the, the tools, and they kind of see um, a guy that can, uh, you know, be groomed in a year or two and, and, and be a, a starter uh, for sure. Very similar to the, uh, the Buffalo Bills quarterback out of Wyoming two years ago. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, he has attractors and he has some, some very high supporters. Um, there, he, he does have some raw tools that are hard to find, but it'll be interesting to see how much he's overcome some of his um, more decision-making uh, deficiencies. I think I think he does go in the first round. I think there is a team that, uh, you know, you only need one, obviously, that uh, says, the heck with it, we're going to take him, and they do. So I've seen some debates when you use the word polarizing. I thought you hit it spot on there. There are people who are like, and they'll show, you know, they'll show film of them, whatever NFL draft analyst is, and some of the outrights, some of the outrights, some of the out routes, some of the throws he makes, like you, you either can do that or you can't, and most people just don't have the arm to do it. And as far as the interceptions, there are people who say, well, New head coach, new offensive coordinator, nine new starters around him. Of course, there were going to be problems in the offense. He wasn't going to repeat that year. But I've I've seen people just crush him for like, well, you just can't stare down a guy on the far sideline, throw the ball over there, and think you're not going to throw a pick six. And you have got to see linebackers underneath coverage. It doesn't matter who the coach is. So are those some of the specifics when you say he's polarizing, that those are the arguments that, that people are making? Yeah, and a lot of times uh, you're going to have a new OC quite often in the, in the NFL, and so that that can't be an excuse. Um, you've got to be intelligent enough to pick up the scheme lightning quick. For players that aren't drafted as high as that, that could be the reason you're cut. You just can't pick up the scheme that quick. And so the concern is this guy's going to be slow to pick up an NFL offensive scheme. I think that hurts his stock uh, considerably. But you're right. I mean, some of the throws that he's able to make at the size he is and the, the mobility that he has for a guy that size – those are things that NFL teams believe they can groom, they can augment, and they can really, really work with. Other quarterbacks that may be a little further ahead in the decision-making ability simply do not have. And so that's what's causing a lot of that debate. I mean, the BYU tape's not kind to him. A lot of linebackers he doesn't see in crossing routes and out routes. Um, but there's some other games where he just makes some of these throws, and you're like, oh, my goodness, how's that even possible? And then, like I said, the athleticism, size, uh, there's a lot of prototypical stuff there that uh, you typically only find in the first round. From your experience, as teams are looking at kids, do the negatives get amplified more than they should be relative to the positives? What do they focus on? Yeah, and it really depends. Team by team, player by player, position by position. When you get a cornerback that runs in the four sixes, it's going to be really hard to find interest for him. Teams just need speed. You get a guy on the offensive line that has really short arms, built toward the middle finger, it's going to be pretty hard. He's going to get labeled as a center only, and that really drops his stock. Um, you get a kid that's been injured a lot, that's really going to hurt him. Uh, a guy that's dinged up a lot is going to um, get canceled out by the trainer. You get a guy that's had a lot of character problems, eh, maybe some teams can live with that depending on who the team is and what, what it is. 
But this year, they'll be particularly hurt because they don't have a lot of those in-person interviews where they can really assuage some of those concerns. And so I think it's it's player by player. What's the upside talent-wise versus the low side with the deficiency? Um, it's position by position. You know, what do our metrics say? What are our parameters for the position? How far is it from that? And then um, really team by team by team. Some teams stick very, very heavily to do parameters and metrics, kind of a money ball situation. And some are more willing to kind of look outside of that, really trust the tape um, and trust their scouts. So it's a little bit of everything, to be honest. How much is everything that's happened the last few weeks going to change business in the NFL permanently and kind of set a new normal? And how much is everything going to go back to normal as soon as that is possible? You know, I think the number one thing is is teams will communicate differently. You know, um, this will allow some general managers that may have been behind the times to kind of update their communication skills, some of their databases, and and some of the things that are more, you know, 21st century, for lack of a better term. Uh, So I do think that will change. Um, I do think that it'll it'll, um, make teams really look at film much more heavily, um, outside of just metrics, 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 because, um, you know, they've had to this year, uh, where, you know, two-thirds of pro days didn't happen. Um, they were really forced to look at film. So I think those two things in particular will make things differently. I think that it'll allow teams to see how connected the world is via online and doing different seminars and you know, things like that can be very accomplished online. I mean, right now the player, the veteran players are going through, you know, veteran mini camps um, and veteran OTAs via, you know, Zoom and recorded video. Um, I'm not saying that that is going to be the case moving forward. Teams aren't happy about that, and it's not ideal, but the idea that it can be done um, is uh, going to allow for other things to occur uh, communication-wise. We've heard the college season is going to happen one way or another, even if they have to push it back X amount of days and months, whatever it might be. Feel that's the same thing as far as the NFL? Very bullish on the NFL um, because the TV deal is the major, major driver, even more so pro football than college football. I feel very bullish on that. Um, even if it's pushed back just a week or two, it's going to happen. I mean, um, even if it's, it occurs with limited fans or no fans in the, in the seats, it's going to happen. There's just way too much money at, at stake without some of the politics that exist in college football college football without some of the university stuff that exists in college football the nfl will will take place this fall it's a matter of when do you think any of the teams will have to move around i mean we've heard the governor of california say he can't see games with state fans in the stands now maybe they play in empty stadiums everybody can make an easy charger joke here if they want um but do you think the nfl could just play in front of no one or temporarily move to other states because they just have to provide the tv content no matter what yeah, I mean, that's kind of a worst-case scenario. Like I said, I think the season happens no matter what. But, yeah, I mean, there's probably two or three kind of worst-case scenarios. That's one where, they, you know, they have to uh, play the games in Vegas or Arizona uh, for the California teams. I mean, I, you're, you know, I've seen articles float around that these, that if the Raiders stadium's not done, they'll play the game here in Salt Lake. So, I mean, yeah, that's definitely on the table. But I think that's very far down the road. Um of, of a possibility could happen. Certainly, I mean, New York's another place where you look at uh, where the, the Giants and Jets play um, in right there in New Jersey, and that, that's obviously uh, on the table as well. Uh, last thing before we let you go, Jonah Williams, Weber State. Uh, what are NFL teams saying about him? Very strong chance of being drafted. 
very, very strong chance of being drafted. Um, obviously, uh, you know, All-American defensive lineman, super long and enormous. I had a director of college scouting call me yesterday that saw him at the NFL PA Collegiate Bowl and saw him walk by. I went, yep, that's an NFL player. Where's he going? Um, ran a laser time, 4.67 at 281 pounds, uh, at 6.5, uh, sub-7, three-cone, just absolutely shattered everything, plus the size and toughness is, is incredible. Um, yeah, he's got a very strong 80-plus percent chance of being drafted um, on Saturday. Evan, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on the air with us. No problem. Thanks so much. Evan Brennan. NFLPA certified agent for United Athlete Sports, representing three Cougars, a Ute, and a Wildcat. At PK, it's always amazing how someone who just like an an NFL scout just looks and goes, yeah, that's an NFL player. It's like, why end up at Weber State? Is like the recruiting process, do they miss that badly? We always hear the linemen are a little easier to evaluate than the skill guys because skill guys can be late bloomers, but man, you either got the frame to be a lineman or you don't. And there's just some requirements, you know. You just, you don't have 220 pound linemen, right? You're not 5'9 playing in the O line in major college football. You're just not doing it. So, how does this happen? Recruiting, it's not a science, it's an art form. Uh, particularly for football, because I think football, the star system, is way more inaccurate than basketball. I think basketball ends up being far more uh, reflective of what your star level is as far as your talent level when you get to the college. A transition, in my mind, is easier, but there's so many intangibles in football, and we see it every year. Every position. I mean, it's really nothing new. It's why these programs are receiving attention when it comes to NFL drafting because there are a bunch of guys out there that are not all that when it comes to drafting. Uh, It comes to being at the college level, you'd think player Carson Wentz, well, man, he should have been playing whatever. You know, I don't know the Carson Wentz story. We know the Josh Allen story that Evan talked about as far as um, you know, coming out of the Fresno area and Wyoming was the uh, pretty much the only program, and he goes there, and then he ends up blowing up. And so far, anyway, I think he had a good season for Buffalo last year, so it looks like he's going to be okay. And then you got somebody, well, whoever it might be, Matt Barkley at SC, uh, Leinard at SC, you know, the premier school, and these guys don't really make it. Uh, Leinard's out. I think Barkley's still bouncing around a little bit. So you don't know. And you're right. It's not even close to a science. It's it. You want to get as many five-star kids as you can, but there's always kids who don't have any stars, whatever, or don't have enough stars relative to their ability. We're going to have Trevor Riley on here at the top of the hour. He'll tell you he was a two-star kid. Well, he didn't play like a two-star kid at the U of U. He played like a five-star kid, and he played a number of years in the NFL. So it's opportunities that are abounding there. If you get an opportunity, seize it, and you never really know how it's going to play out because it's not that science, as you say. Coming up next... Trevor Riley, former Ute player, former New York Jet, now on the Ute staff, talking about all the challenges they're facing right now, also looking ahead to Utes and the draft, advice he can give them, and he's got a hilarious story about getting drafted by the Jets. It involves golf and Trevor being Trevor. It's very funny. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
from Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Trevor Riley joining us now. Utah grad assistant Trevor, good morning. Morning, guys. How you doing? Good. I think people are curious. In these changing times, what are the duties of a Utah grad assistant right now? Everything's so different. Well, with all of, all of us admins and grad assistants, it's just kind of work under your coach. So I work kind of with Fred Whittingham, so basically I'm just picking up the slack wherever he needs it. But there's not a whole lot to do besides put together uh, some clips or some quiz assignments for these guys and just stay in touch with the kids, but there's not a whole lot that uh, everybody's doing right now. So the draft is coming up, Trevor. You were part of the draft. As you approached the draft, what was your emotions? You know, I had I had mixed emotions. I knew I probably wasn't going to go early, but I didn't think I was going to be a seventh rounder. I thought I would fall somewhere between the fourth and fifth round based on what teams my agent was saying. Um, I, I went out and played golf during the day just because I couldn't on the third day. I didn't think I was going the first two days on the third day just because I couldn't uh, put my mind like just to watch the whole thing. And I got I was getting phone calls the whole day about teams. You know, if I don't go drafted, they want to sign me. It's almost like being in high school again. You have teams recruiting you. Then the Jets called me and uh, they're like, hey, you know, we got a couple picks left. We're thinking about taking you, but if we don't, we want you to come with us. And I said, let me just tell you, if you got a couple picks left and you don't take me, there's no way in hell I'm going with you guys. I hung up the phone, <laughs> and then about 10 minutes later, they drafted me with the last pick in their draft. Uh, and my agent called me and said, what, what happened? I said, I told him, I said, if you don't take me, I'm not, I'm not going to you guys. i got plenty of other teams I can go to as an undrafted guy. And, um, yeah, it was just kind of a crazy roller coaster up and down uh, for, the, for three days. Was your agent surprised you said that? Did he coach you uh, a little bit? He's like, man, you probably should have consulted me on that. I said, oh, yeah, I kind of got caught up in the heat of the moment, but I really, I would, I wouldn't have gone to him anyway. So, and as it turned out, they actually liked that answer, and it, uh, according to them, it, it made them want to draft me. This is a guy, DJ, who once threw a football over the South Stadium stands in a game. So he got caught up in the moment. He's always caught up in the moment. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you, you could that could be said about Trevor Riley, I guess. But it, it was fun, man. The draft was uh, is one of those things where you hear your name on. I didn't hear it on TV, but I was listening to the radio as I was coming home from golf, and you hear it. It's pretty cool that um, you know, no matter what happens, I can always say I was drafted. So it was kind of a cool thing. So, what have you told the Ute players heading into the draft now, or do you not tell them anything? You wait to be asked. How does that work? No, well, I mean, we've had discussions. There's a few former NFL guys on, on on Utah staff that have been through the process, and so they come up and ask you, "Hey, what you know? What what can I expect?" You know, my agents tell me this. I'm going to go between these rounds, and what you always say is, um, "What do they say?" Uh, oh, you never want to um, say that you're going to go higher and then go lower. So you want to over deliver. So people ask you, "Yeah, I'll probably be a late round guy." undrafted that way if you go early it's always better than say oh yeah i'm first or second round and then you drop to the sixth or seventh it's not a good look so i always tell the guys just hey man 
expect to be undrafted. Uh, you never know with the draft, especially with this whole crazy thing going on and the lack of pro days and interviews. It's going to be tough for some of our guys uh, who didn't get to go to to the combine. Uh, I assume it's probably going to be tougher for them to get drafted. I, I hope it's not, but the whole process is weird as it is, and then you throw this element into it, it becomes just a weird. It'll be a weird three days. One of the things we've been discussing is the level of importance on the amount of guys being drafted in a program. The Utes, this is going to be a banner year for them in terms of the number of guys drafted. You go down to the Cougars, doesn't look like they're going to have anybody drafted. How much do you think being drafted and the number of guys drafted or not drafted affects recruiting? 100%. I mean, it's huge. Imagine if you're a kid and a program walks in there and says, hey, we had eight or nine guys drafted last year. And over the last five years, we average about five or six drafted versus a program and say, hey, we have a guy drafted every four years. I mean, that's tough. Uh, that, that, that's, that's a selling point that can't be ignored. Um, it's not to say that it always works, but I know for me it would, it would hold some water. I'd be like, okay, well, this program, you know, they develop players and they, NFL teams, they like the players that come out of this program. I think that's been a um, – it's kind of been that way since Coach Mack was here, really. Um, Utah guys have done well in the NFL, and, and teams like the toughness and they like the, the, the attitude and the work ethic that a lot of the players that come out of Utah, that they come to the league with. I'm a typical uh, shallow media guy and fan, so I expect instant results instantly. Uh, but it doesn't work that way, and it seems like at linebacker for the U, it's been a long, slow grind. The talent keeps improving. But it's always surprised me that high school linebackers don't look at the Ute defensive line and think, oh, I'm going to play behind those guys and I'm going to make plays and look good. And it seems like the U's getting there, but, man, it seems like it's been a long, slow haul. Yeah, it is. And, and really, it's a hard position to recruit. Defensive end is maybe the hardest one to find, in, in my opinion. Finding a high school defensive end who's ready to come in and play. And I think linebackers probably right behind that. You know, corner and DB, if you're fast and you have some skills, you can play there. Defensive line, if you, you tackle, if you're big, you know, we can plug you in there. But DNs, you know, you're kind of born with it. You kind of, kind of, you got to have that juice and you got to have that mentality and attitude, kind of like Bradley. He's just a, a natural defensive end. There's not a lot of those guys around the whole country. Um, you always see a lot of guys switching positions from receiver or tight end or, or running back, even to linebacker. You see that with defensive end, too. And at linebacker, we've done that. I mean, Devin Lloyd was a receiver and a safety, I think, in high school, and he's now physically as good a looking linebacker as you'll find around the country. Uh, Cody Barton was a safety. Chase Hansen was a quarterback. Uh, I was uh, a linebacker. They turned into a defensive end slash outside linebacker. Uh, Paul Kruger was a quarterback. So we, we've had success moving guys from different positions because it's very, very hard to find a high school linebacker who's ready to come in and play in our system, who has the right size and speed and uh, instincts to be ready to contribute. So uh, we've done a great job with Coach Scally and, and Coach Whittingham finding those guys and, and, and making them for the right, making them fit those two position groups. Talk about finding those guys, Trevor, and I can use that generally. 
Kyle Whittingham has made a living out of finding, quote-unquote, those guys. Because I remember you told me you were a two-star coming out of high school down there in California, and obviously you superseded and exceeded that star ranking, whatever it was. What makes him and Morgan and these guys be so good at being able to, quote, find those guys? Well, I mean, there, there are just so many examples. I mean, uh you look at a guy like Paul Solia. He he came in as an offensive lineman, the JC, highly re- recruited JC offensive lineman. It wasn't working out with him and the coach or him in the system. And Coach Quentin Gary Anderson said, "Hey, we'll take you on defense." Plays one year defensive line, gets drafted in the third or fourth round. He's just always had that knack, Coach. What I'm talking about of seeing the big picture with the guys. Hey, can he run? Is he tough? Is he willing to hit? Okay, we can find a place for him, and he'll move you around until you find you find the right spot. Uh, I don't know if it's patience or if it's just uh, a will to think we're not going to give up on this kid. And that's one of those things that he's always been good at. He he doesn't give up on kids easy, man. If you're not working out here, we'll move you. We'll find a place for you. And so as far as recruiting goes, we always look to find guys that fit a certain mold physically. Um, Sometimes you take the guys that are undersized and all that, but we try to find guys that, hey, can they run? Are, Are they long? Are they tough? We'll find a place for them. So how much is that recipe being disturbed by the fact that you're missing a lot of spring practices, that the whole offseason is a mess, guys can't, I mean, there's always limitations about what you can do with coaches, but players can get together, except now players can't get together. How much does this mess with that that whole routine, that whole pattern that Kyle has built up over the years? Oh, yeah, I'm sure it's, we're gonna, there's going to be some effects, but, you know, the good thing is it affect, it's affecting everybody, so... We're kind of in the same boat. The one difference is we got a lot of uh, young guys on defense as far as playing experience and, and some young guys on offense too. But uh, those lost reps, if we don't get them back, that's probably going to hurt us a little bit. But we'll, those guys always find a way, man. Coach Scally and the defensive staff, over the years, they've always found a way. We've always said, oh, we're graduating to all these guys. You know, we just lost Chase and, and Cody, and they plug in, you know, Francis and Devin, and, you know, they were as good or right there near that level. So. Uh, they find ways to make guys get the scheme, whether it's dumbing down the scheme because they don't have the reps or whether it's just making sure those guys get extra reps during practice. They'll find a way. But it affects everybody, man. It's not just Utah, but all these schools, especially the ones that aren't Alabama and Clemson that don't have the five-star guys, it's going to hurt those those teams. We were talking about, too, how the difference between BYU and Utah has never been greater. I don't think you can argue that. How much of the fact do you think that if you want to play in the NFL – you just have a better shot at Utah. Well, you know, it, when you start getting into those conversations, you start making people mad, and it's not always good to throw shade at your rival school. I just think that we're in a different place. You know, it's it's a little bit harder to recruit down there with the LDS and Honor Code thing, and obviously we have the Pac-12 going for us. So it's just we're in two different spots. I mean, BYU's put out some good players too. I mean, Kyle Van Noy, Danny Sorensen. I was talking about Super Bowl winners, uh, Ziggy on. So they've had their fair share of guys, the Kafusi brothers. It's just that we're at a different place now as far as the Pac-12 and, and obviously, uh, you know, our scheduling and things like that where um, I guess we're not always recruiting the same type of guy. And um, that's just the way it is right now. How are you staying in touch with the active guys and making sure they're working out, improving, whether it's watching film or having a place to work out? Because, you know, so many places and guys are from all over the place and different counties and different states have different rules. But a lot of guys just don't have access to gyms the way they would used to. They can't be on campus. What are you doing? Coach LSI has done a great job, our, our strength and condition coach, of 
putting out two kinds of workouts, one for a home workout and one for if you have access to weights in the treadmill or whatever. And so really it's on the honor code system. Uh, we're in communication with those guys four to five times a week with uh, meetings uh, when, when we have, when the NCAA has allowed us to have that time and, uh, you know, quizzes on Google Classroom. And so we're definitely keeping in touch with the guys and checking in on them. But at the end of the day, it is an honor code system, uh, an honor system. I mean, they have to do what they say they're going to do, and we have to believe them. there's not much more we can do besides that. In terms of the NFL, take a guy who is like yourself. You were at the end of the draft. Uh, I suppose you could have been a free agent. How much do you think that if you're good enough, you'll make it, or you really need to be in the right situation? Well, that's an interesting question. There are teams in the NFL where, and it's very political, they, they, they will protect their draft picks. The GM and sometimes the head coach, you know, if you start cutting your draft picks and you're not winning, it's not a good look for the for the fan base and for the rest of the league. Like, hey, this guy is incompetent as a drafter. Keeps cutting all his draft picks, but there are other teams like New England, for example. They don't care where you're drafted. If you're out playing the second rounder, first rounder, you're going to play, and that's just the way it is. And there, it, it, there's two different types of teams out there. there obviously, some probably fall in the middle. But I've played on different staffs where it was both ways. You know, there there was a rumor, not a rumor. There was a, in Cincinnati under the old regime. You know, they they seemed to always keep their draft picks. They didn't sign a whole. They didn't keep a whole lot on draft free agent guys. And in New England, they kept a lot of them. So it really just depends on what uh, what team you get on and what the right fit is for the system and the scheme. But there is all kinds of games that go on between the front office and the and the coaching staff, and they battle over what guys to keep and what not to keep. So it, it, it's an interesting dynamic there. So that same thing can play out with veterans, and you mentioned the Patriots. What did you think of the whole uh, Tom Brady scenario and him ending up in Tampa Bay? What does it mean for the Patriots, and what does it mean for the Bucks? Well, I mean, I think Bill's always thought uh, it's better to get out a year early than a year late. <laughs> Excuse me. Not to say that Tom is going to be done in a year, but, you know, to give a 42-year-old whatever, however much much money it was, I'm sure he thought, you know, the rest of our roster needs to get better, Tom, if we're going to be able to compete with you as our quarterback. So uh, you understand that part. And then Tom obviously was probably like, I'm not going to go somewhere where they don't have weapons. In New England, they they lack some juice on offense at the end of the season. So it was kind of a, I think it was in, what do you call it, a, a, a both sides easy breakup. Uh, I don't think there's very many hard feelings. Obviously, if Tom plays them, he's probably going to go all out and try to destroy them. But at the end of the day, it was probably a good fit for both of them to separate at, at this stage in in in, the, in Tom's career. So you have experience being in that New England organization. Do you have to be cold-hearted in a sense? Oh, yeah. Every day you go in there thinking you might be cut, man. It's a very, very ruthless capitalist program. Uh, it's what have you done for me lately. I remember a guy who was defensive player of the week one week. The next week he didn't play very well. And then the, the week after, in trouble with the travel team. So you see that kind of, hey, if you're not playing well, you're not playing all across the board. Uh Obviously, there was an exception for Tom, but he usually seemed to play well every week. But the rest, everybody else, if you weren't playing well, we, we got to find someone who is. Trevor Riley joining us, a former Ute star now on the Ute staff up there on the hill. And so uh, as you're watching all this uh, play out, 
how much of this, uh, it's what you said earlier, like everyone's going through this. How much of the success is just going to be mental toughness right now? How much of the other stuff is going to go by the boards and we're going to see some teams crack and some teams not when we get back to playing whenever that is? That's a great question. I think uh, with a lack of reps, I assume it's probably not going to be a makeup of a spring ball. If there isn't, it's going to be come down in a shortened training camp. It's going to come down to knowing the system and the coaches, making sure they don't overcomplicate things because, like you said, there's going to be a lack of of reps and lack of uh, time around the facility. So uh, a lot of it's going to be coaching, man. you got to put your guys in the right position and make sure they know what they're doing. I'm sure there'll be a lot of growing pains early on in the season, but uh, usually how it goes after the first, you get so much better between week one and two, and it kind of goes that way towards the end of the year. Uh, If you can keep that pattern of getting better every week, you should be okay. But like I said, you need to make sure that in the system that you're running that guys know what they're doing and they can play fast. So have you decided that uh, coaching is the career for you? As of right now, I'm enjoying it, man. It's kind of like a, a drug. It's hard to, it's hard to give it up, man. It, being a part of the game and the team and the camaraderie and the locker room and the scheming, the planning, it, it's very, it's a lot of fun, and uh, you get to impact young young men's lives. And I'm enjoying it. It's been it's been really really fun. We need you to uh, go back to your uh, your radio roots. You've done a little radio here. I want you to yeah. uh, settle an argument between PK and I that actually peripherally involved you. I was making the point about the, um, the uh, recent quarterback developments at the U. You got a four-star transfer. You got another four-star transfer. You got a verbal commitment. I know you can't talk about him by name, but you got a verbal commitment from a four-star guy. And I'm like, you, they didn't go very far when they didn't have any four-star guys. Now they're getting them. One of these quarterbacks has to pay off. You bring in a bunch of them. They can't all pay off. They're probably too close together in age. But one of them is going to pay off, and they've gotten a lot of other things right. If they get high-level quarterback play, best quarterback play ever got was this past year. That's the best quarterback play you've gotten in the Pac-12 era. And sure enough, you're 11-1 and going to the conference title game. So PK immediately brings up, yeah, but Trevor was a two-star, and look at all he did. And so... I think there's always the place for the two-star. You know, if the coaches see a guy and they think he can be a player and he has a two-star, you take him. But I think if you don't, you got to have the four-stars to get where you really want to go. What portion of that do you buy? What portion do you not buy? All you got to do is look at the top four teams at the end of the year. And pretty much every year, it's blue blood teams. And the blue blood teams, they have usually the best recruiting classes. So, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a place for guys like me who are under the radar, but those days have kind of passed, man. With the internet and recruiting, you kind of know and find everybody. There's not a whole lot of secrets lying around out there uh, with the way the recruiting landscape is. So if we had our way, I'm sure every school would be that way. We would sign as many four and five stars as possible. Uh, obviously, if you take a flyer on a guy every once in a while who's got the physical tools, but he's just not there yet uh, as far as the play goes, you know, those guys can pan out too. But you're better off, I think, in the, the odds, taking the better players that have higher physical attributes. More often than not, those guys are going to pan out for you. And all you have to do is look at the final four each year, really the final eight, and those teams are just loaded with talent, man. So our, our, we're trying to get the best players we can every year, man. Um, uh, whether those are two-star or five-star, we're trying to find the best players. But more often than not, the four- and five-stars are going to pan out higher than the one- and two-star guys. Well, I want you to know, Trevor, in my heart, you'll always be a five-star. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, thanks, PK. Appreciate, I appreciate that. For a washed-up <laughs> player like myself, that, that goes a long way. Thank you. <laughs> you were a great player in your time. Yeah, it was, it was, I had a good run, man. But uh, the players, we're getting better players now than we've ever gotten. I mean, this last recruiting class on paper is the best class we've probably ever gotten in Utah. So if everything works out we, in two or three years, it should be the best uh, one of the best couple years that we've had here at Utah. Trevor, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. All right, guys. Have a good time. There's Trevor Riley, and that's a great story with the Jets. And actually, I get why his agent doesn't want him freelancing like that, but it makes sense. Hey, if you got two seven-round picks and you don't want me, eh, the other teams that do. Put a little pressure on him, and, and there were other teams that wanted him. Why not? Way to get some leverage. Got a little leverage? Use it. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. What is trending? Coming up next.